Hello, welcome to ISU Redbirds podcast. I am John Pemberton, former ISU Redbird from 1985 to 1990. I am joined by Steve Thate, ISU alumni from 1984 to 1988. I am also joined by John Diner, ISU alumni from 1984 to 1988. Hello and welcome to ISU Redbirds podcast, episode one. Today we have two topics. First, we're going to be talking about the transfer portal and the effects it has on college uh, basketball. And second, we are going to be speaking with our special guest, Dan Muller, Redbird for Life from 1994 to 1998. So I'm going to kick this over to Steve Thate. Thanks, John. So I think, you know, when you hear the words transfer portal, first thing, you know, especially as a fan, you think you have this negative connotation, especially as a mid-major fan. You think of uh, that player that you've invested time in, and all of a sudden they're they're, they're in that portal. They they send out that famous tweet. They thank God, their family, and then the last paragraph they tell you that they've now decided to uh, enter that transfer portal. But you know the transfer portal itself isn't the real issue. I mean that's just something the NCAA's introduced uh, three four years ago where they've uh, enhanced the technology. I think what the transfer portal itself has done is, you know, had a lot of transparency now. So you see almost instantaneously that, you know, a person's entered the portal and, uh, um, you know, information is just shared globally besides the Twitter account. The thing I think that's probably most disturbing is, you know, some of the things that's happening in the background, you know, the, the rule changes that have been implemented, for example, like, uh, you can now transfer without having to set out a year. The uh, the AAU environment that's influencing you know college basketball you know starts Big in time. high school, and, and uh, you know I think players are used to moving between teams. That didn't happen, perhaps when John, you and I played basketball in high school and stuff like that. You 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 stayed with one team and you played with those guys for a long time. So you know the environment's already created, and, and then uh, you know I think the other thing that happen is you know the power shifting the the power really was with the schools and the coaches before uh, um you know when you when Agreed. you were in school and now it's shifted more towards the, the players and and there's some good to that okay and and then there's some things that uh, uh um you know with that power comes with a lot of change and I, I think coaches fans and players are all getting used to that right now so you know the, the thing i would ask john is i mean you went through a situation where you know, Coach Donald was leaving. Coach Bender was coming in. And you, not under his own accord either, right? I not mean, not yeah. under his own accord. Um, but a lot of change is happening, right, to the players. Absolutely. And, and, and why don't you tell us, like, how that uh, went down versus perhaps how it may have gone down if the portal was in place and, and some of those rules that we just talked about. And so, yeah, I reached out to Sonny Roberts, who was my bookend in college, him, Gerard, Ricky, and Randy. And technically, Ricky and Randy are in the grade, the 86 class. Sonny are in that 85 class. So now fast forward to 1989. Now, mind you, I had to call Sonny this morning and get some cobwebs cleared out because that was 31 years ago. Um, And so uh, we were reminiscing about us going in to see Wellman, who was the athletic director. And basically informing us that we had one, two choices. One, stay at ISU and play another year. 
or two, transfer to a Division II school because there just was, you know, you had to sit out no matter what. There wasn't a waiver. There wasn't any of this stuff. Um, you know, we had never heard of that. And that stuff doesn't start until the 90s. So in the 80s, it was very different. Um, and I would agree with you, Steve. Um, uh, you know, the, some of the power is coming to the players. Uh, and I think like all players, right, you want to try to go as high as possible because we all have that aspirations of playing on, whether that's the NBA or, or overseas or wherever. And um, so sometimes that works out to your benefit and you're the type of player that is better than the organization you picked. Sometimes you go too high, right? We saw a lot of times where guys picked, you know, Illinois State, and they just weren't cut out mentally or physically to cut it at that level uh, at Illinois State and transferred, and some of them are friends of mine still today, right? And they went and played Division Two or Division Three somewhere. Um, and that's awesome, right? And now they get the better chance to do that. So um, you only get five years. Now there's a little loophole right now because of the whole free COVID year, which is just a big mess. But for the rest of us, or last hundred years, you get five years to finish four, period, end of story. You step on campus, that clock stops, and there is nothing that can stop that clock from ticking, except for COVID. So that's, yeah. Uh, and then COVID didn't stop the clock. COVID just threw an extra 365 days in. I mean, that's right. all COVID did. So to boil that thing down. So, and to finish that story, so Sonny and I basically walk in. He says, listen, you either be Redbirds or go play Division Two." We go out in the hallway. He brings in Ricky, Ricky, Randy, and Gerard. Uh, big Gerard and Sonny and I were the posts back then. Um, imagine having three big posts like that and Scott Fowler, right? Uh, he was a sophomore, but basically says us, says to those three, we're out in the hallway. Hey, look, you guys can go transfer somewhere, sit out a year, and then play the next year. You're going to have to decide. So he opens the door. Um, to call Sonny and I back in. Uh, I'm standing in the doorway and I look at the four of them and I reach up to Sonny and I shake his hand and say, listen, I'm staying. Give him a hug. I walk up to Ricky, Randy and Gerard and do the same thing. Shake their hand and say, it's been an honor. Give him a hug and I'm staying. Look at Wellman. I'm like going to the gym. I had a broken foot at the time. I'm going to the uh, get a lift in. It was Monday morning of class and just wanted to get away from the media and stuff. So I left and they all followed me down there and we were all Redbirds. And so, you know, that's the core team that will go on and win that Missouri Valley Conference Championship and play Michigan. And it's just an honor to have done that. But I'm not sure that that would go on today. So back to you, Steve. Yeah, and, and look, I mean, I think that's a great story. It all worked out for you guys. It, it, you know, it, it ended... Uh, with everyone going to uh, you know, an NCAA appearance, but it may could it could have worked out differently. And, and I mean, you kind of say you were you're put in a situation where your choice was ISU or Division Two, and this is probably where some of these changes, while the power shifted, it, it's probably more equitable from standpoint from from a player standpoint that if the coach leaves, you know, they have an opportunity to to do what's best for them. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. I think in other cases, though, and this is where probably there's some frustration, is when you have, you know, a player you recruit, right? You bring them in, let's say, as a freshman. It's an investment, right? You, you invest Absolutely. time in that player. 
you, you develop that player. I mean, John, you could right, you start practices in the summer unofficially, and then officially. You do today, didn't back then, but yes, today you're starting at mid June, early July. You're you're getting three, four weeks of practicing. Yeah, so you, you bring those players in, and, and I mean, most players are not ready as a freshman to step in and, and, and start. I mean, that's you know, especially when we're talking about you know mid-major recruits, unless maybe there's been roster turnover or something like that, or you have those elite players. But you're bringing those players in, you're, you're developing them. You, you know, sometimes it's physically developing, sometimes it's skills, right? Yep. Sometimes it's yep. mentally like learning uh, the games faster and, and what you need to do and um, defensively and offensively. But after doing all that and, and, and awarding that player who's worked hard, right, with, with playing time, yeah. and all of a sudden they decide to, to enter that portal, right? And, and when those players are getting enough minutes and, and it seems like it's a good fit, I think this is where, you know, as a fan, you know, as a fan we invest in those players too, right? Absolutely. And you get to know Absolutely. them and you're cheering for them and stuff like that, and all of a sudden they, they, they're now entering the portal and, and uh, it's hard. So, you know, as a coach, I think they're trying to get used to this new landscape, right? And, and, it, and I think it was probably more common that, that you know, you wanted to have this balanced approach when you did the recruiting, like, you know, bring the freshmen in, develop them, and make sure you have enough in each class. Maybe sprinkle in some junior transfers, you know, or a couple transfers here and there to bring in leadership. But, but now, you know, I, I don't know. John Diner, I'm, I'm curious, like, what do you think if you're a mid-major coach, how would you, you know, kind of approach this, and, and and how would you recruit? Well, yeah, obviously, as a fan, um, what I would want to see, obviously, is what you were just talking about. I'd I'd want to bring in a freshman, you know, develop them, um, see them come out, um, see them go all the way through, develop, become as a a great player, become you know, a, a terrific player for the team, and then I want to see them leave on senior night, but. I know that isn't reality the way things are nowadays. Um, it, it's more of a risk-reward type of situation where, um, you know, do I take a risk on a freshman and uh, and uh, and develop them, see if we can get them into a, to become a great player, and uh, as opposed to trying to bring someone in off the transfer portal who I can get immediately, who can play right away, um, and I'm not investing um, a bunch of resources in developing that player just to have them transfer after three years after I put all these resources in there. So it's it's really a, a tough situation to be in as a coach nowadays, I think, to figure out, you know, what is the right balance for that type of thing. Um, I, I think you have to, to, to weigh that very carefully to see, you know, what do you want to do? All right. What's up next? I think it's show and tell, correct? Yes. Yeah. So in this segment of show and tell, I got to pull the basketball back. I have one of these, and this is the Missouri Valley Conference Championship basketball. Our next guest has two of them. And so we will go to a break and we will bring in our special guest, Dan Muller. Hello and welcome back. Um, we are gathered. We are here today with Dan Muller, former 
I issue Redbird from 1994 to 1998. Like I said, I have one, he has two. So we're gonna throw that over the back, two. Mr. Muller, how are you doing? Well, I'm, I'm awesome, number one. What an incredible honor to be the first guest. <laughs> first! Red, ISU Redbird Podcast, episode one of, I'm sure, thousands of, of future episodes to come. But I'm awesome, man. I, this is this is great. Can't wait to talk about some some of the old glory days and uh, chop it up with you guys. So let's get started. Let's do it. Start giving us your favorite memories at ISU. You, you texted me a couple. We talked about a couple. Yeah. Favorite memories as a player. Now, this is obviously uh, the whole podcast. Well, you can ask whatever <laughs> you want, obviously. But this, these were all my playing days, which most of my favorite memories are as a player. Of course, I've got a good handful of great memories as a coach, too. But um, I texted you a couple games, and, and some were wins and some were losses. Everybody's going to talk about, of course, the, the Tennessee game, the, the tournament win, which certainly was one of my greatest memories. I'll tell you this, though. When we lost Arizona the next game, then we can talk about those two games whenever you want. Um, I, I will never forget the locker room. And you, you know, John, you know how yeah, this absolutely. is. Absolutely. We go in the locker room, and, and we that Arizona game, it was, we were, I don't know if we were eight or nine seed. They were the one seed, of course. And we went at halftime down two. I hit a shot with 18 on the clock to tie it up. Yep. And then they go on a, a, a thousand to two run, it felt like, <laughs> in, in about 30 seconds. And it was so – I can still remember co – coach called a timeout, of course, 15-0 run, something like that. You know, we go back out, another 12-2 run, something like that. And I can remember in those moments thinking my career is over, like in the game. Right. But you're playing, you're competing, but we go in the locker room. And um, I, a lot of, I've seen a lot of tears in locker rooms as a coach and as a player. Never been a part of more hard, heavy crying than in that locker room together because we were so close. We had six seniors. We had been together for so long. So that was a, that's one of my favorite memories. And it's the sad memory, but it also just – it was the, the ending of, of such a, a special time in my life, my four years as a player. Yeah, and, and you and I talked about this on Mondays with uh, Dan Muller. Uh, during COVID, right? And I got to talk about my side of it. Um, and I didn't, our experience was very different, right? And so um, we were in it battling. We didn't win a game. We lost our first game to Michigan. And so, um, but yeah, uh, very different. Now, I've been in locker rooms where we, you know, we were very, guys were mad and crying, right? The DePaul game, getting that game stolen from us at home. At, yeah. Right. And so, all right. So, you talked about those two. Yep. You texted me uh, NIT game. You yes. and CA, Chad Altadonna. My wife's like, you got to make sure you enunciate guys. Because <laughs> we're all known by our nicknames, right? Yeah. CA and, and, you know, Kegel and, you what know. What was your nickname, John? Big Pimp. Big Pimp. <laughs> Big Pimp, right? Got it. My, See, I was, was D-Mole, so D and D-Mole, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And uh, guys will hear me refer as we watch other tapes and other players. You'll hear us go back. I, yeah, I knew you were Demo because I came and practiced with you guys, actually played in the, in the gym during the summers, right? During yeah. Stallings' yeah. camp, right? And that's where you and I first met. So. All right. So you, you talked to CA about that NIT run. 
Well, I'll talk about the, our two NIT runs. The first one was with Chad. Um, we go out to Utah State. And, and here's, here's another. Okay, so my freshman year, uh, we finished second in the league, and we lost the championship game. Um, that's not true. My freshman year, we lost in the semifinals to Southern Illinois, who went on to win the championship. No, it's Tulsa. Tulsa. <laughs> they run together. So a young freshman, you know, I just turned 19, long year, hard year. Coach Stallings, not easy to play oh, yeah. for. And we, we here, we're making – so there's a week in between, the conference tournament and the, the announcement. Coach Stallings comes in the locker room and says, we made the NIT, and our seniors are so excited, and us five or six freshmen are like, <laughs> no, I want to go home. <laughs> I'm telling you. And uh, but we practiced, and, of course, I'm glad we played. We go out to Utah State, and um, just an unbelievable atmosphere. Awesome game. Maurice Trotter. Oh, Trotter. Like, he had, like, 30. <laughs> um, we go out there. We practiced the day before the game. Kenneth Pearson, my, my roommate as a freshman, in practice, dunks on me, and it was big time. <laughs> and uh, But I, it, just a – unbelievable environment and what happens in postseason play is the more you win of course the more fun it gets so we have that game so much fun uh, play Washington State at home yeah after that and yeah. I still remember and, and, and fans will remember this and some players we were at they, I was they, at the they game up, yep. they go up they, pack crowd I mean um, pack they were really good Kelvin Sampson was the coach actually yeah the time. yeah Most they go up three. We, Coach Stallings doesn't call a timeout. Jamar Smiley, who didn't shoot a lot of threes, takes a desperation three, you know, at the buzzer, misses, and Coach caught a lot of heat for it. I remember that. And crushing loss, of course. Yep. My sophomore year, we go to the NIT again, and we were a higher seed. But that's the year we play Mount St. Mary's at home. We beat them by – we kill them. Mm -hmm. Million points. Then we go. We were at that game too. That game. Yeah. And again, great atmosphere. Um, I had a double double that game if I remember right. We go to Wisconsin, and that Wisconsin game was one of my favorite games, without a doubt. We go up to Wisconsin. I'm a sophomore. We had just won, um, packed house, the old barn, and we had this little, not little, it, it was big. This section of ISU fans, and our benches here. And they were back here. I they were back to my back left. And they were so loud. And we won that game kind of going away. And the ISU chants and cheers in the final minutes of that game and when the horn went off and, the, of course, all the players point up. Such a fun game. I, I, one, of my, one of the most fun games as a, as a player. I uh, had a we ticket on that bus. But my wife, yeah, I did. I had to give away that ticket because my wife is nine and a half months pregnant. Brooke will be born <laughs> eight days later, right? So there was no me getting on a bus or driving anywhere. Yeah, so I did not make that game. But, yeah, that was well, a great game to watch. You had a good excuse. Nine and a half that, months. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that Washington State game when Coop uh, hits the three and uh -huh. ties the game up. Besides that uh, Illinois State Southern game that you played in, John, the championship game, that was the loudest I heard that, that Redbird Arena. So they just erupted. Oh, so loud. You know, I went back, <laughs> and I'm not great about remembering all the stuff from back in the day. 
Um, but I went back and I'm looking at a screen as I'm looking over here. And I went to my senior year, actually. And Wikipedia has the schedule, wins, loss, results. Yep. And they have the attendance, yeah. which, which that part I really appreciated. And so I look back. My senior year home attendance, I mean, these games, Pittsburgh, 9,600. Oakland, 8,700. Drake, 7,600. You know, uh, in the Southern, 9,400. Bradley, of course, sold out 11,000. Wichita State, 10,000. You know, Northern Iowa, 10,000. So just Redbird Arena being full as we continue to win. And when you're that age, you kind of take it for granted. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. A little bit. And attendance is harder across the country. There's way more competition for, for everybody's dollars and, and, and entertainment. But, uh, that Washington State game was loud. I will tell you the as a coach, our game against Wichita State um, was equally as loud in sixteen seventeen, and was just the, the, the dunk at the end when that yeah, uh, oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'll tell you a coach story. And I know I said I'll stick with it. I'll stick with it. Yeah, because we promised you we were only going to do yeah. game the player. Yeah, I mean, so I know, I'm breaking, you're I'm breaking, breaking your own thing breaking, here. I'm, I'm, here. <laughs> I'm going to a really good year. So we we we, we start state early, and, and Kyle gets that dunk, and I call a timeout with about a minute left. We're up fourteen, and there was one reason I called the timeout. You know. Because I hated the other head coach. <laughs> we do too. You, you know, we wanted to get our defense set and all this BS. No, I wanted to rub it in. <laughs> well, fast forward, of course, and you'll maybe remember this. We play at their place on senior. Yeah. yeah. I'm that one on TV. You guys came out flat. I mean, oh, you, you couldn't pretty, chew bubblegum and walk. Well, none yeah. of that. Mikhail was, was injured. He didn't play. He was injured. Mm-hmm. Then he got two fouls in the first, like, five minutes. Yeah. Uh, another play. Somebody else got two fouls. So we were just they, – they killed us. So there's – and they pressed us the entire game. I mean, we're down 30. I had to walk on Zen with 10 minutes left because it was a it was a two-day turnaround. So I said, you know what? But we're down 30. <laughs> and old Greg with double G uh, calls the timeout with like 40 seconds left. <laughs> and down 30. And the entire time he stares at our bench. And I didn't really care because that stuff reminded me. But after the game, one of the uh, one of the newspaper uh, <laughs> guys said, well, what do you think about that timeout? And I said, I don't care. If I don't want a timeout called down 30, I shouldn't be down 30. <laughs> right. But he knew why I called the earlier timeout. But back to uh, our old playing days, well, those are two loud games. Uh, that Washington State game was awesome. Um, and But so many loud home games. The senior night, 1998, I know I'm kind of stealing your, your podcast here, John. This is exactly what we want, dude. Okay. Keep going. Senior D-ball. night, 1998, we played Creighton. <laughs> Of course, we won the championship. We we we, knew, we had won it a couple, wrapped it up, so we knew that, and we really felt like because we probably would have gotten at large. So we were pretty sure it was our last home game in Redbird Arena. We had a top thirty RPI, and we knew we were going to win the tournament. We just kind of felt that way, right? We knew. My point is, we knew it was our last game at home, and we won by. I could actually check. I don't know what we won by. We won by thirteen, and then we gave speeches after we all. All seniors used to give speeches after the game, 
We did and too. People still will talk about Rob Gibbons and his epic speech on senior night. Um, <laughs> and there was a lot of seniors, mine was short, and I'm sure and a couple other guys, but that was a great fond memory. And what a lot of a lot of times guys get emotional on senior night. And I didn't understand this till I was a coach. We'd have guys at Vanderbilt crying before the game. We've had guys here tearing up before the game. And I will tell you, when there was no tears, no emotion, negative emotion, no, oh, this is no nostalgia from one player on our entire team during that game, zero. And as the further I got in coaching, as I kind of looked back on it, it was just like we just knew we were going to keep winning and we loved Redbird Arena, but right. we just loved playing together. Yeah. We were staying in the moment. We weren't emotional about it. We didn't cry. We we just like, let's get another win and see what's next. And again, just I'm so blessed to have gone here and to be coached by Coach Stallings and to be with the group of guys that I was with who are still my best friends in life. Um, but that senior night with that group of guys was pretty special also. Yeah, and <clears> – <throat> For mine, Ricky, Randy, Gerard, and Sonny, you know, uh, those are my three, five seniors. Yeah. They're still my, I mean, my, uh, we were talking about it. I had to call Sonny yesterday to make sure I got my story right for the first part of the podcast. <laughs> and so. Check the memory. Yeah, check the memory. And uh, got on the phone with him. And, you know, he's like, oh, dude, dude, I'm just getting into work. It's 6 a.m. It's 4 a.m. here. I'm like, yep, yep. And he's like, I got to be getting my pipe fitting on. I'm going to be in the 38th floor of this building. I'm like, cool. And he's like, oh, crap, I'm 35 minutes late for work, right? <laughs> because it just time went by. So, yeah. All right. So let's keep rolling. Good. We're not here to talk about John Pemberton, even though John can talk a lot about himself. Um, <laughs> that, that's, why that's, was, that's for sure. That's why he was 35 minutes late, because you're the one. That <laughs> hey, dude, you're texting me this morning at 6 a.m. in the morning. We I'm, want to talk about why? Yeah, I, well, there might have been a dyslexic moment in there when I went 8 a.m. instead of 8 p.m. But hey, and, <laughs> 8 a.m. And you said, yes, 8 a.m. I'm like, okay. So I get on 8 a.m. I'm like, hey, where, where the heck is Pemberton? I, yeah. I was up anyway. So it's good, all good. good, good. I'm glad. And, uh, yeah, we had to cut a little segment out of yesterday's recording because I uh, decided to talk about, you know, the, uh, we were talking about the, the transfer portal and the impact it's had on college basketball. And one of the things I got into were the 14 guys that transferred. Well, there's only actually 12 I put on two guys that are currently on the team that have transferred that really haven't transferred. So we had to cut that whole segment out. So, you know, Don't hey, this is, this is the issue Redbirds podcast. This is not uh, perfect. Episode so, one. Yep, episode right. one. All right, so let's talk. You also texted me about hooping against Steve Nash. That was another one yeah. you gave me. Yeah, Steve Nash played him. And I went, and again, this this goes to show you my memory is not great. And I should have. I should have texted. I could have texted a couple teammates and asked them. We played out there my freshman year. Um, the you game want to remind the fans where out there is? Uh, Santa Clara. Yeah, Steve Nash is in Santa Clara. We play, we play at Santa Clara the game before uh, Christmas and just get destroyed. And we flew straight home from there. And I, I remember getting on that plane also, John, and just being half depressed. Like, I got a five-hour flight home. I get 
two days at home. We just got killed. I know when we come back, Coach Stallings is going to kill us more. <laughs> but I don't remember Steve Nash in that game as much. And I, I even tried to find a box score. I'm, I'm sure he played. But I didn't want to say I played against him twice, but I'm 99% sure he played in that game. Mm-hmm. Then they played at Redbird Arena um, his senior year in 95-96. And um, he was kind of pudgy, you know. He yeah. had 30, he had 20-something. He was really good. He was the main guy in the scattering pool. And it was first time Jeff Wolburn, who is now the head coach of Denver, who was my yep. one of my college coaches, was doing the scouting report. First time I had heard this, he said, you know, this kid Nash, he's got the ball on a string. And I'd never heard that before. I was like, what's that mean? You <laughs> 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 know, and he's this and that. And I, I guarded him almost the entire game. Um, and they beat us. They beat us in a close game. And, again, I'm going back to my notes here. Two points. <laughs> two, two. It's okay. two points. Two points. Two. Yeah, and, and I, I'm almost positive. Again, I was he had the ball top of the key. I'm on him late in the game, and I think he gets a bucket. I don't remember exactly. But just kind of cool to see a guy like that go on to be one of the greatest point guards in NBA history and the work ethic he, he, he had and how he transformed his body. Um, but – Two really good games. Michael Ola Candy was the first pick of the draft. He played at Redbird Arena mm-hmm. on Pacific. Now, he didn't turn out to be one of the best ever, but he was the number one draft pick that next year. That was my junior year, I believe. Um, we beat them. They actually had a kid on their team from Bloomington High School. That's one of the reasons they came back here and played. I don't remember his name. 6'4", six, 6'5", six, six, kid, athletic. I don't remember his name. Okay, okay. Um, and uh, – so another great player, of course, that came. But my, I will tell you, my, my toughest guard um, in my four years would be Chris Carr from oh, Southern wow. Illinois. Yeah. Now, as a freshman, when he was a senior, he hung 40, I think 43 on us at home in a home mm. win, I believe double overtime. Um, that was my freshman year. But he was – and he played in the NBA for 13 years. But he was so good and – as a freshman, especially, so hard for me to guard. You know, we had a lot of really good players. Anthony Parker, of course, Troy Hudson, yeah. you know, yeah. Rodney Buford. These guys are all NBA guys. Uh, the Evans kid from Wichita State played. So we had a lot of good wings that I guarded in my four years. But Chris Carr was a freshman. I had no answers for him. <laughs> <laughs> none. None. I think that whole Arizona team was uh, went well, to the NBA, yeah. right? Yeah, no, that's like literally the whole team. Yeah, that team. They, so they had won it in '97, and they all came back. Bibby was a sophomore. Dickerson, all those guys. Jason Terry was coming off. The Terry. Team. Jason Terry is actually the one who beat us. So, you know, again, tie game, second half. He comes off the bench, comes in the game, and hits. They start pressing us, and again, we're we're down. So we started the entire year with Jamar Smiley and Skip Schaefer as our starting backcourt. Jamar Smiley, first team All Conference. Third in the country in assists. Shape Bauer, one of the best shooters in, in the country. Both those guys didn't play in the NCAA tournament, neither game. Yeah. Uh, Skip broke his leg at the conference right, tournament, right. which is incredibly memorable. Jamar throws his back out in between the conference tournament and, and the NCAA tournament. So we go in as the eighth seed, literally without our starting backcourt. So we play Tennessee in an overtime game, 45 minutes. I'm one of three players that played all 45 minutes. 
And then we have to follow it up. We got one day in between, of course. We've got the Arizona game. Early in the Tennessee game, I jammed my thumb. It's one of those I'm guarding. Oh, uh, man, I forget his name, too. Lefty wing. And I my, my thumb gets caught. It's my left thumb. I think gets caught in a jersey, and it jams it. And my thing, it just swells up like crazy. Adrenaline takes me through that. But the day in between, I couldn't even catch a ball. Like, mm-hmm. it was swollen. I, I couldn't catch a ball. And then we play Arizona again, tie game. They press us. We're without our backcourt. Kyle Carp, Merrill Mill, and Steve Hansel are our starting backcourt for the game. Both really good players, but not true, true point guards. But James Terry comes off the bench. I think he had five threes in the second half. And he was a bench player. And like, like I said, that was when I, you look up at the scoreboard and you realize your career is over. Yeah, I hope you have that game on VHS because Dan's going to send me some VHS for me to bring over. I think I do. <clears throat> yeah. um, you know, I know I got the Tennessee game. I think I have that game. So I'll, I'll say this too. So I, I was with the Vancouver Grizzlies, uh, you know, my first year out is the NBA lockout in 1998. So I go up to training camp with the Grizzlies. And their first pick of the draft, which is the second pick of the draft, Mike Bibby. So I'm up there with the Grizzlies for a month, and I walk in, and you know I'm this no-name, you know, unsigned free agent rookie, and he's the number two pick in the draft. So I don't say much for the first couple of weeks. But yeah. <laughs> I'm older man for two weeks. I was like, hey man, uh, do you realize you ended my career? <laughs> I know you look familiar. Hey, thanks a lot. No. <laughs> but uh, that was um, good teams, good players. And we, we played against a lot of really good players. Okay, that's a great stopping point right now for us. All right, so we are back with Dan Muller, and we have the last two minutes of overtime with Illinois State and Tennessee. Um, Steve and I and John kind of previewed this. I know Dan previewed this today. Uh, We do want to say this as we're watching. There will be some times that we pause and rewind. Currently right now, we're looking at the Amber Cumbria and Fitch model, Dan Muller, who has played (laughs) 42 minutes. Now we're going to pause on the 1970s look by Charles Monster. (laughs) Gibby. Gibby. Now, Gibby, who has played 31 minutes, which is very impressive, looks like he's played 31 minutes. (laughs) If we rewind out here a little bit, you do not look like you played 42 minutes. You look like you could be airbrushing on Abercrombie and Fitch. So I just had to get that started. So... You should, be able to hear the, you should be able to hear the sound and everything. So I can. Yeah, I can. Steve yeah. Hansel. There's Steve. Yep. There are some cut scenes that we just left in. Start talking about it, right? This is what are you thinking here? Well, I'm not gonna remember everything I'm thinking. I told you I did I did watch this and you've got it up on the YouTube page. So I'll be able to I remember some of it and first of all, the sweet uniforms and jerseys, of course. Kyle Cartman will turn over. Of course, we're trying to go to Rico Hill, who's the best player on the court, player of the year in, in, in the conference that year. Tony Harris with the ball. So I didn't remember this until I watched it. So we're in our zone, and this is an old point zone, it used to call it, that, that Dean Smith invented. That we played off four of my ears. And they didn't shoot it great. We played some man, some zone in that game. But we finished the last two minutes in our zone. 
and Gibbons with an unbelievable defensive oh, play. Oh, my here. God. I mean, Big man team. proudness right there. Now, hold on. I'm going to pause for a second. We wanted to ask you, as I hit the pause button, we remember, and again, this is 22 years ago, we remember you guys playing a lot of man-to-man. So to yes. see these last minutes, it, we were theorizing or, or speculating is probably a better word. Do you think that's because Kyle and Steve are have four fouls each? Are you? Do you yeah. think you guys are in protection mode at this point? Because you can't go very much deeper into your bench, right? Well, um, again, those two guys and myself played 45 minutes, and this is no uh, offense to anybody coming off the bench, but when you lose your first, your two starters, right? I don't, I don't know who we we went big. We when we we had, when we had to take. I think I played the the whole game Arizona until we were down big also. But when one of those two guys went out, we went quote-unquote big, which we never played big. Kenneth Pierce somebody came in, and Rico Hill went to the three. So if one of those guys would have fouled out, it would have been a major issue. We probably played 95% man throughout that, yeah. that year. Yeah. So going zone here, especially at this point in the game, is because of fouls, a little bit of fatigue. And they didn't shoot it great, but mainly because of foul trouble. Without okay. Without. Like, again, I, I guarantee we played out of 45 minutes. I, I'm sure we played mostly man in this game. Yeah, we did. But here coming through like the last four minutes of the regulation yeah. and last five minutes here. So I hit play again. Got to get something going. Again, trying to get that ball inside, baby. Oh, it's weird. It's always weird watching the game. It's Steve Hansel with the great and one, beautiful and one for Steve. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and again, Steve with with come, come being not in the first start of, of the year for him with Jamar out, but being a starter, playing forty five minutes, he played an unbelievable game um, in that game. He did battling cramps. Right, that was one of the things yeah, yeah, we talked about. Up. He cramped up. Yeah, a lot of players yeah. would take themselves out in this day and age. Not Steve. He's battling through, right? Yeah. Not calling current players soft. I'm just saying they don't play through as much pain as, you know. That guys. would be a factual statement and not should not be taken in any other way. Okay, thank you. It <laughs> was amazing, though, was he got the cramps, and then he ended up scoring the, the game-time shot like one minute later. Right, in regulation? In regulation. Right. No, right after they had the cramps. I know. I know. I remember at, at the timeouts, they're stretching them, drinking water. You know, absolutely. So, again, this is a zone. It's kind of a matchup, kind of a 2-3. It looks like this, looks like that. But the uh... – Okay, so they get they score there. We score again. Yeah. And then, and then the the controversy of the no charge call is the next play defensively. Yeah. Now, we are just running our motion. Leroy goes down the lane, left-handed, beautiful move. Now, we do want to point something out that we think there's a conspiracy theory, and we're going to call this conspiracy. Yeah, this should be the video that's played at the end of. Uh, the beginning of all ISU Redbird games instead of the shot. If you guys had played defense on the next play, you and Kyle wouldn't be on the shot. It'd be this man right here. And as a as a former big, this is what we should have had, a big up there, not two little guards that, you know, got to throw the game and get themselves the last shot. 
not only not only big, but drive left to the rim from the three point line and give you the finger roll. Like big L. So Big L, that was his nickname. Big L, big L, drive it left, physical, and and so he comes down and the the charge is coming up here. But you're right. But I but I would argue that we did play defense in the rest of the game. <laughs> Go ahead and play this. Let's see. And, and, and also this uh this picture. Go ahead and play this because Harris is going to drive it down the lane and, and Leroy is going to take the charge. Yeah, when you not... want the pause. Well, it'll be right when he. Tennessee. He's about to throw it up top. He's going to drive left. Right there. That's so, a charge. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and here, that picture was in Sports Illustrated. Literally, that picture with him. Leroy like this, and and Harris charging like the next episode, the next not episode, the next uh, magazine. That picture was there. It's awesome. I'll try to find it for you. But like I said, we played defense. Big L charge. <laughs> you did. And did. Uh, you know, kid made a nice play. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so, and then the other thing we, we the other thing we talked about was there's no one calling timeouts here at all. No. Okay. No timeout again. And and right now, if this was. You know, 2022, the refs would have stopped the game, right? To see how much time would have been on there. You guys would have had five timeouts during these things. Brutal. Yeah, they were timeouts. Yeah. To make sure they didn't lose .1 seconds, they did it the right (laughs) way, or, you know, what block charge, timeouts. Yeah. But I, I would argue this as somebody that had a game stolen from him, I would uh-huh. rather them take the time to get it right than to have Terrence Green step three feet over the three-point line and give him three points to beat us by one in Horton's last game, right? You don't, you don't remember that at all, do you? Uh, I, I, no. Pity party of one right here, this guy right here. And so I hear absolutely, you. right? And so, I hear you. There's just too many. There's too, uh, you're right about that, okay? So there's got to gotta, we got to find the, 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 the line where we're crossing too many. It's, like you said, five stoppages of play, time. They step on the line, but oh, it's just too much. Yeah. Because as as I watched this game, Steve, I was surprised too. And I tried to look and see if we had a timeout left. Maybe we didn't have any. We but... don't have any timeouts left. Okay. Right. So that's why. Yeah. Yeah. So go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Hidden play. No timeout. They go up one. Penetration by Harris. Ball rolls out, so the referee's got to go grab it. We're exhausted. They're exhausted. Oh, here it is. Another look at it with Leroy taking the charge. Good press here. Smart. Again, again two, our two starting guards are out, so they have a little pressure here against us. Now, you will see in the highlight of this tape, I do pause it a little bit and show. I saw that. Yeah, Tennessee. (laughs) I saw that. So this is really just trying to get the ball to Rico. (laughs) (laughs) All I got to say is, you know the Tennessee coach is over there on the other side with fours up, right? Because you're saying, Rico, they would have been – Try should have been probably focused on you and Rico, right? And trying to well, keep. Well, no, no. The thing is to focus on Rico, but not give a layup. 
And, and you got to credit, like, Rico, player of the year, leading scorer. He had a really good game. I hadn't scored a ton again. My thumb was jacked. I, I didn't even shoot the ball in the second half, I don't think, more than once. And so the focus is on Rico like it should be. But to his credit, as we play it here, I play. and he and he trusts his teammates. He runs into the wall, throws it to Kyle Cartmill, drops it off for the easiest layup, easiest game winning in, in the history of basketball. <laughs> and that shot almost went in. It did. And I uh, can tell you I was just exhausted after that. This is riveting TV right here. And <laughs> episode on. one. Yep. Episode one. Uh, let's play a different look. There it is. Got it. The NBA tournament for somebody so to get their last opportunity. Just a fabulous, fabulous finish. Muller just found a terrific spot on the floor. You know, you can see you and oh, yeah. Steve and Kyle. Every one of your heads up are looking to find that player right and yeah that was just so i tremendous. can tell you i could tell you so i looked i looked at the clock that's and again we were trained by coach stallings mm-hmm. we were seniors most of us i mean junior seniors we had a lot of miles you know on our tires but we had also a lot of practice a lot of situations in practice and and as soon as i scored i sprinted back as fast as possible i looked at the clock to see how much time was left really quickly and then you turn your head, you find the ball, and as you can see, I contested the shot. But you got to stay in the moment, and that's a credit to Coach Stallings and the training, and the credit to the teammates. And thank goodness he didn't make that. But it was yeah, yeah, thank pretty goodness. Special, pretty special day. Yeah, great day. So that is our interview with Dan Muller. Dan, thank you. Anytime you want to come back, you know my number. <laughs> so we are going to wrap this up. And this is a wrap for episode one. That's a cue to my engineer to play the clapping. Oh. <laughs> it's not playing. Oh. There you go. <laughs> you must have done a great job. Thank you, guys. Awesome to see you.